Well, good morning, everyone, and happy Sabbath. It's good to see each of you here for our Revelation class. We are working our way through the book of Revelation. I want to welcome back our other teacher, Alistair. Just got back from Asia on Thursday, I believe, so he will be teaching the class again next week. And today we are starting Revelation chapter 9. And so we're going to get through probably the high points of chapter 9 today. Um, just as a way of review, I'm going to do a brief review while people are filing in. Um, chapter 9 is in the middle of the seven trumpets. Last week we studied Revelation chapter 8, and we saw the first four trumpets of Revelation, and we have seven churches, seven seals, and seven trumpets, and we looked at the first four trumpets last week. And based on our understanding of, of history and prophecy, Revelation chapter 8 shows us that the first four trumpets were a judgment of the Western Roman Empire, God using the four barbaric tribes to come and attack Western Rome, culminating with the fall of the Western Roman Empire in 476 AD. Now, I had one person come up to me last week, and um, in Revelation 8:13 it says, "Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the angel, or by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound." Now, these three angels of the three trumpets which are yet to sound are not the three angels' messages. Um, and I didn't really point that out last week. But if you look carefully in Revelation chapter 8, verse 6, there's seven angels with seven trumpets. So one angel for each trumpet. And so we had four angels for the first four trumpets in chapter 8, and we have three more angels to come with three more trumpets. In chapter, chapter 9, we'll get two of them. In chapter 11, we'll get the last one. But these are not the three angels' messages. These are different. So I just want to clarify that. So <clears throat> now that we've just done a, a brief overview, I would go, I'd like to go ahead and, and open up with a word of prayer, and we'll get into the substance of our class for today. So let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we can come together and study the book of Revelation. Please bless us and guide us and open up our minds as we get into the detail of the history that you've given to us to help us understand where we are in earth's history. So thank you again in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so just a quick reminder as well, we do have a microphone if you have a question or a comment or if you're reading one of the passages of Scripture, um, raise your hand and we will give you the microphone first and then you can read. And continue to speak up because even though the recording picks up your voice very well, those of us here still need to hear you as well. Okay, so now that we've briefly done the overview of what we studied last week in chapter 8, let's take a look at where we are also in the big picture of Revelation. We're in Revelation chapter 9. We've studied the seven churches. We see that, we see the history of God's church 
down from the first century all the way to the Church of the Judgment Hour beginning in 1844 with Laodicea. Then we see um, the history of the church from, a, from the perspective of history in the seals. And we see the persecution of the, of the saints, especially in the first four seals. And we see that because of the persecution of God's people, there must be a judgment on the persecuting power. And that persecuting power was pagan and papal Rome. And in the fifth seal, the saints say, How long, O Lord, shall you judge and avenge our blood? So the judgment of the saints, where God avenges the blood of the saints, is in the seven trumpets. And the first four trumpets is where God avenges Western Rome or pagan Rome. And then you have Eastern Rome that is still to be dealt with. And that's what we're going to look at here in Revelation chapter 9 in the fifth and sixth trumpets. And then ultimately spiritual Rome, which was the worst of all when it came to persecution of the saints, is judged in the seventh trumpet. And it's in the seventh trumpet, the culmination of which is the seven last plagues. So the worst of the judgments are reserved for the worst offender, so to speak. But we're going to look at the fifth and sixth trumpets today. And I might add that having a correct understanding of the historicist view of the trumpets and the timing of that is crucial because it helps us to understand the rise of the Second Advent movement and the time of the judgment. And you'll see that as we go through um, Revelation 10 and 11 and onward. So Revelation chapter 9, let's see. um, Let's have a volunteer read verses 1 through 3 of Revelation chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. Is there a volunteer? Let's see. We have a volunteer over here, if we could get the microphone. Um, Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke rose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. Okay. So, <clears throat> Revelation chapter 9, verse 1, clearly we see the fifth angel sounds. And this is the fifth trumpet sounding here. And <clears throat> the first thing that we see is a star falling from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. So we're going to talk about this. Um, what is the star that fell from heaven to the earth, and what was the key of the bottomless pit that was given to the star that fell from heaven? Well, <clears throat> the, idea of, the idea of a star falling from heaven gives you the idea that this is representative of something that (coughs) has a large impact during the time in which this is being described. And it comes from heaven in this passage. It gives you the idea that it has a religious connotation. Um, And yet, it's given the key to the bottomless pit. Now, if you look at the places in scripture where the bottomless pit 
shows up here in the book of Revelation. We see it here in chapter 9. You also see it in Revelation chapter 11 to describe the spirit of atheism that came out of um, the French Revolution. You also see it in at the beginning of the thousand years when Satan is, is chained for a thousand years. So having the key to the bottomless pit isn't really the greatest connotation. Now, <clears throat> where we are in the sequence of history, we've seen the judgment on Western Rome, and now the fifth trumpet begins the judgment on Eastern Rome. So now we look at history and, and look at the political, religious, historical factors that were in place that led to the judgment of the Eastern Roman Empire. Now, chapter 8 takes us to about 476 AD with the fall of the Western Roman Empire. So sometime after 476 AD, we're looking at the key history and political situation in Eastern Rome. And what we have here, and I'll have to say that Uriah Smith's explanation of Revelation chapter 9 is probably the best that we have in our church. He may be wrong on the King of the North and Daniel 11, but I can give my full endorsement to him on Revelation chapter 9. So go back and, and read Daniel and Revelation by Uriah Smith. We're just going to hit some high points. But the star that fell from heaven, as traditionally understood by Adventist pioneers, was um, Muhammad and the Islam Islamic power the Islamic faith that came onto the scene. Now, here's what happened. <clears throat> Shortly after Western Rome fell, the two key world powers at that time were Eastern Rome and Persia. And if you were looking at Revelation chapter 9, shortly after Western Rome fell, you might be trying to understand who this power is going to be that comes and afflicts Eastern Rome. And it would have been a reasonable guess to say that it would be Persia, because Persia was the leading competitor of Eastern Rome at that time. And yet, if you study Revelation 9 carefully, it actually turns out to be Islam, or the Islamic faith that or the Ottomans as we n came to know them, that came to be the key power that afflicted Eastern Rome. So it starts by one of Muhammad's um, followers sent <clears throat> a letter to the leader of, or the king of Persia, by the, whose name was Chosroth. Um, and this is what Uriah Smith said. Chosroth received an epistle from an obscure citizen of Mecca inviting him to acknowledge Muhammad as the apostle of God. Chosroth, the king of Persia, rejected the invitation and tore the epistle. And then Muhammad had this to say after he heard that this invitation was torn up. He said, It is thus, exclaimed the Arabian prophet, that God will tear the kingdom and reject the supplication of Chosroth. So, <clears throat> the Persian Empire was given the opportunity to team up with Islam. They rejected that opportunity. At that time, Islam was of small, little-known faith down in Mecca and Saudi Arabia. Nobody really knew who they were. And Persia felt that they were a preeminent power that could, could fight off Rome. Now, <clears throat> notice, I, and I believe the star that fell from heaven is 
Muhammad and the Islamic power, to him is given the key of the bottomless pit. So the question is, what was the key to the bottomless pit? What was the key that would allow Islam to open up the door, so to speak, so that they would become the power that could attack Eastern Rome? And at this time, Rome and Persia were in conflict with each other. And if you study history, and I don't have time to go through it, but Uriah Smith documents this nicely, Persia had attacked Eastern Rome and had won several battles and had gained the upper hand. And Rome had become weakened because of this, Eastern Rome. So now you're starting to say, well, hey, Eastern Rome's going to be attacked in the fifth and sixth trumpets, so it makes sense that Persia would f fulfill this. Well, what ended up happening is Rome regained enough strength to come back and attack Persia. And what Rome did was, if you know geography, Rome comes from the, its eastern Roman area, which is modern-day Greece and Constantinople, and it went way up to the north and back around behind modern-day Iran, and then came up from behind and attacked Persia and wiped Persia out. Now, now Persia was totally obliterated and was no longer a leading consideration to attack Rome. But what happened was, is that Rome weakened itself so much from its long journey to come up, up from behind to attack Persia that it no longer had the power to fight off its enemies. And Adventist pioneers believe that the key to the bottomless pit was Rome and Persia fighting each other and weakening each other so much that it allowed the Ottoman Empire to come onto the scene and establish it as, a, as the preeminent military power during the time of 600 to the time it fell in 1840. It was one of the leading um, military powers. And the Ottomans afflicted Eastern Rome um, pretty consistently during that time. So anyway, that, that helps set the stage now for the rest of chapter 9. So the fifth angel sounds, star falls from heaven, to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And notice verse 2, it says, and he opened the bottomless pit. So now this star that fell from heaven, which is Islam, he's opening the bottomless pit. And notice what comes out of this bottomless pit. It says, there arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. Now, <laughs> notice this. This is a religious entity, and notice the result of this religious power once it receives its power smoke comes out of the pit what happens to the sun the sun becomes darkened now notice the contrast between that and the faith that christ represents jesus is the light of the world and yet this religious entity, when, when it opens up its bottomless pit, it receives this power. The smoke that comes out of this pit darkens the sun. So in essence, it's darkening um, or hiding the true light of, of God and the light of his truth. Um, so that's verse 2. <clears throat> then verse 3, And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions have power. So <clears throat> 
when you think, when you think of locusts, what do you think of? Locusts tend to be a pest, and they tend to, to accumulate in large numbers, and it's hard to get rid of them. And these are locusts that are like scorpions. And scorpions have a deadly sting to them. So here you have locusts, which are very pestilential. They're all over the place, and they have the sting of a scorpion. So this describes the, the way in which the Ottomans were operating and how they were perceived by their enemies. They were all over the place, and they had a deadly sting that they carried with them. Now, verses 4 and 5, or verse 4 especially, is very interesting. And um, some people that I know get confused about the chronology of Revelation 9 based on Revelation chapter 9, verse 4. Now, notice verse 4. Actually, let me have um, a volunteer read verses 4 and 5. If we could have a volunteer read Revelation chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. We have a volunteer back there. Revelation chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. Speak up so everyone can hear you. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when it striketh a <coughs> Okay, so thank you. Here we see in verses 4 and 5 that this power, it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass, the earth, any green thing, neither any tree, um, but, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their forehe foreheads, and that they should not kill but torment. Now, <clears throat> we've studied, in, back in Revelation chapter 7, when we did our study on chapter 7, we studied what the seal of God is. We're not going to go through all the verses again. But we showed um, that the seal of God is the Sabbath. Now, some people, when they look at this verse, believe that this must be talking about after the close of probation when God's true, or people who have been sealed after the close of probation will not be hurt by um, those who are out to attack God's people. Um, but that doesn't fit with the history or the chronology of the seven trumpets. And if you understand the history and the chronology of the seven trumpets, then, then, then verse 4 makes sense. Now, I'm going to read again from Uriah Smith. Now, the, this is the original version of Daniel and Revelation, so the paging is different than what you get in the ABC today, but this is from page 500 and 501 from the original version. Um, after the death of Muhammad, he was succeeded by Abuker, or Abu Bakr in AD 632, and this is the command that he gave to his, um, his men of, um, of military power. He said, when you fight the battles of the Lord, acquit yourselves like men without turning your backs, but let not your victory be stained with the blood of women and children. Destroy no palm trees, nor burn any fields of corn. Cut down no fruit trees, nor do any mischief to cattle, only such as you kill to eat. 
when you make any covenant or article, stand to it and be as good as your word. And as you go, you will find some religious persons who live retired in monasteries and propose to themselves to serve God that way. Let them alone and neither kill them nor destroy their monasteries. And you will find another sort of people that belong to the synagogue of Satan who have shaven crowns. Be sure you cleave their skulls and give them no quarter till they either turn Mohammedans or pay tribute. So <clears throat> what happened during this period of time was the Ottomans started attacking the Roman Catholic people in the Eastern Roman Empire. And history tells us that Sabbath keepers were spared of the attacks of the Ottomans. So Sabbath keepers, which Sabbath is the seal of God, Sabbath keepers were not attacked by the Ottomans. And so this is evidence, again, that the Sabbath is the seal of God. But those who were attacked were those who, as was described here, were part of the synagogue of Satan. And if you remember from the study of the, the seven churches, the, the synagogue of Satan were those who professed to be Jews, but they are not. They profess to have the religion of Christ, but they really don't. And we, we saw that that was the Roman Catholic Church. And they were the ones that were attacked by the Ottomans. So those who had the seal of God in their foreheads were not attacked by the Ottomans. Now, of course, those who kept the Sabbath were attacked by the Roman Catholics, but they weren't attacked by the Ottomans. So that's the point of this passage. Now, if you look in verse 5, notice that to them, the Ottomans, it was given that they should not kill them, but, but that they should be tormented five months, and their torment was as the torment of a scorpion. Now, <clears throat> beginning in verse 5, we have a time prophecy. And this is where it's very important to understand the chronology and the history of the seven trumpets because, you know, we understand the dates and the history of the first four trumpets and when the four, first four trumpets attacked. But in the fifth and the sixth trumpets, there's specific time prophecies that show when the Ottomans afflicted the Eastern Roman Empire. And the reason why it's important to understand these time prophecies is because it sets the stage for the prophecy of Revelation 10, Revelation 11, and the Second Advent Movement and the sounding of the seventh, seventh trumpet. So if we understand that, then we have a clear picture of how all of Revelation plays itself out. So in verse 5, here we see that the Ottomans did not kill, but they tormented for five months. Now, <clears throat> five months is 150 literal years, 30 days in a month. Five times 30 is 150, the day for the year principle. You get 150 years. Now, <clears throat> there's two stages to the Ottomans attacking the Eastern Roman Empire. The first stage is the fifth trumpet. The second stage is the sixth trumpet. The first stage in the fifth trumpet, they tormented but did not kill. What that means is they attacked Eastern Rome, but they did not overtake Eastern Rome. In the second stage, they overtook Eastern Rome and became the preeminent power in that region by force. But up until the sixth trumpet, Eastern Rome still had its its um, seat in Constantinople. Now, <coughs> the question then is from history, when did the Ottoman Empire first attack Eastern Rome? And it's very clear from history, 
people all agree with this, that the first attack was July 27, 1299. And that's a very important date, as you will see. Um, but July 27, 1299 is when the beginning of the five months begin. That's when the Ottomans finally entered Constantinople and started attacking Eastern Rome. And over the next 150 years, they would attack Eastern Rome, but they never overcame Eastern Rome and took over from Eastern Rome during that time. And if you go down through um, ver verses 6 through 11, it describes this period of time, and we're just going to kind of move through this fairly quickly, but it shows um, how bad these attacks were. Verse 6 says, In those days shall men seek death, and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. So the attacks were severe, but people did not were not completely wiped out. And then you see in verse 7, the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle, and their heads were as it were crowns like gold, and their faces were as the faces of men. The Ottomans were very well known to use horses in battle. <laughs> and then verse 9, they had breastplates as it were breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots and many horses running to, to battle. And then, let's see, verse 10, they had tells like unto scorpions, and there were stings in their tells, and their power was to hurt men five months. So there you see the five months again. They had, the sting of a scorpion is very painful, and this is descriptive of the attacks of the Ottomans on eastern Rome. And then notice verse 11, and they had a king over them, which is the angel of of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue, his name hath his name Apollyon. Now, the word Abaddon and Apollyon both mean destroyer. So, the significance of Abaddon and Apollyon is that this power was a destroying power, and in the next trumpet, we're going to see. The, the destruction of Eastern Rome. Now, notice verse 12, and we're moving through this fairly quickly, but you can go back and study the history in Uriah Smith. But the key point to understand is the chronology. But what's fascinating is that God predicted all of this before it happened, and the chronology fits perfectly with the Ottomans and their attack on Eastern Rome. So they attacked for 150 years, and then... Verse 12 says, one woe is past. What is that woe? That's the fifth trumpet. So, one woe is past. The fifth trumpet is past. And then it says, behold, there come two woes more hereafter. Now, <clears throat> so we have the second and the third woe still to come, which means we have the sixth and the seventh trumpet still to come. So, and it says hereafter. Now, the word hereafter gives the idea of a continuation in time. So, like, as soon as the first war was passed, from, he, from here, which is where we are right now, to after, there's a, con a direct continuation of the trumpets. So, first woe, second woe. As soon as the first woe ends, the second woe starts. That's what the word hereafter means. And you can see that also 
at the beginning of Revelation chapter 4 when the angel tells John, um, I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Now, <clears throat> verse 13 shows us when the sixth angel begins to sound. It says, The sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And notice verse 15. And the four angels were loosed and were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. Now here's a couple of key points. Notice where we are in the sanctuary when the sixth angel begins to sound. We're before the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. This is still in the holy place. So when the sixth trumpet began to sound, it's sometime before Jesus entered the most holy place. When you go to the seventh trumpet, you see the Ark of the Testament, and that's the most holy place. So the sixth trumpet is the last trumpet before Jesus goes into the most holy place in the sequence of the trumpets. Now, the, the, the fifth trumpet, which went for five months or 150 years, started on July 27, 1299, and it went to 1449. Now, the sixth trumpet, therefore, began in 1449. And we don't have the exact date of when this happened, but in the year 1449, the emperor of the Eastern Roman Empire died, and his son Diacoses, spelled D-E-A-C-O-Z-E-S, was to ascend to the throne to take over as the ruler of the Eastern Roman Empire. And he was so afraid of the Ottoman Turks that he sent them a written letter asking for permission to ascend to the throne before he would do so. Now you may say, you know, what's the big deal? Well, the reason why that's important is, is because the way in which the Ottomans rose to ascendancy in, at the beginning of the sixth trumpet is the same way in which they were taken away at the end of the sixth trumpet. So they essentially became the preeminent power in that part of the world in 1449, 150 years after they first started attacking Eastern Rome, when the person who was to become emperor of Eastern Rome asked for permission to become the emperor, basically acknowledging that we are under you, Ottomans, and I'm not going to take over as emperor of Eastern Rome unless I have your permission. He was granted that permission, and he became emperor of the Eastern Roman Empire in 1449. Now, the attacks continued... And in 1453, Constantinople was taken over by the Ottomans. So now, by 1453, four years after the sixth trumpet begins to sound, the Ottomans are now in charge of Eastern Rome. And they are given power to slay the third part of men for one hour, one day, one month, and one year. Now, if you add up the one hour, one day, one month, and one year... It comes out to 391 years and 15 days. One hour is 15 literal days. One day is one literal year. One month is 30 literal years. And one year is 360 literal years. You add that all up, it's 391 and 15. So, 
the starting point, you have 150 years and then 391 years and 15 days. We saw that it's a direct continuation. It says hereafter. So 150 years and then from hereafter you have 391 years and 15 days. So we take this period of time. By the way, what time is it? I don't have a watch with me. 10 till. So we're almost out of time. So we will wrap it up with this basically. <clears throat> You go 391 years and 15 days from 1449, and the beginning point was July 27 from 1299 to 1449, and then another 391 years and 15 days. That takes you to August 11, 1840. And Josiah Litch was the first pioneer to figure this out around 1838 originally. And then in the about a year before, he said it's going to be sometime in the August of 1840. And a few weeks before, he said it would be August 11. Now, what happened on August 11, 1840? <clears throat> the Ottomans had been in a tough battle with the Pasha of Egypt, um, whose name was Mehemet Ali. And they, the, the Egyptians had attacked the Ottomans enough that the Ottomans had been severely weakened, and they were to the point that they were about to be taken over by the Egyptian power. Now, the Western powers of Europe saw this and didn't want the Ottomans to be destroyed by Egypt, and the Ottomans felt that they could have an alliance with the four Western powers of Europe, so they asked for help. And they got help. And what happened was the four Western powers of Europe drew up an ultimatum that they wrote, not the Ottomans, but the Europeans wrote it. They gave it to the envoy of the Ottomans to then deliver to the Egyptians. It was an ultimatum telling the Egyptians from the Europeans, stop attacking the Ottomans or we will get involved. Now what happened was on August 11, 1840, the envoy of the Ottomans handed this ultimatum to the Pasha of Egypt, Muhammad Ali. And now <clears throat> the ultimatum from the Europeans was between the Europeans and the Egyptians. And so what happened on August 11, 1840 was the Ottomans basically said to the Europeans, we are underneath you. You're helping us out. We can't take care of this, but you guys can. And when when, they, when the Ottomans gave the ultimatum to the Egyptians, up until that time, they could, have done, they could have thrown the ultimatum away, gone back to fight the Egyptians, and it would have still been in their own hands. But once they gave the ultimatum to the Egyptians, the Ottomans' destiny was out of their hands. And it's the, it's the exact same thing that happened when they first started at the beginning of the Sixth Trumpet. At the beginning of the Sixth Trumpet, the emperor of the Eastern Roman Empire said, I'm not going to ascend to the throne unless you give me permission. At the end of the Sixth Trumpet, the Ottomans are, are asking for help from the Europeans, and the Europeans take things into their hands, effectively taking power away from the Ottomans, just as they had gained that power at the beginning of the Sixth Trumpet. And it happened on the very day, August 11, 1840. And it happened at a time when the Millerite movement was just picking up steam. It was just starting to go to the big cities. And Alistair is going to talk about the Second Advent movement in a 
class next week with Revelation chapter 10. But Revelation chapter 9 and the fulfillment of these prophecies sets the stage for the power of Revelation 10 and the second advent movement. We see that God uses the Ottomans to bring down the Eastern Roman Empire and that God is going to judge and avenge the blood of his saints, first in the first four trumpets with West Rome, then the fifth and sixth trumpets on Eastern Rome, and that the prophecies are there to show the, in, uh, the infallibility of God's word, how true his prophecies are, and that he will use prophecies like 391 years and 15 days instead of like 100, you, know, you start off with 150 years, we're like, well, that's pretty good, 150 years, and that was right on the money. But then he says, you think that's good? I'm going to do 391 years and 15 days, literally. I'm going to fulfill it right on the mark to show that the second advent movement is being raised up by me to prepare a people who will counter the spiritual Rome during the sounding of the seventh trumpet. Because when the seventh trumpet sounds and God judges spiritual Rome, he needs to have a group of people that will counter those who are in Babylon. And that's what the purpose of the second advent movement is. So we see this fulfillment of Bible prophecy with a one hour, one day, one month, one year. To me, when I see a fulfillment of a prophecy like that, that makes me excited and thankful to be part of the second advent movement because we're living in the time after that prophecy was fulfilled where we are part of the second advent movement that came on to the scene in revelation chapter 10. now as we finish up revelation chapter 9 we see that the ottomans continued to attack up until their time was fulfilled and we see in verses 20 and 21, the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. So after we've had six trumpets of judgment on Western and Eastern Rome, we see that these people still have not repented of their deeds. And so God says, you've had six trumpets. When the seventh trumpet sounds, that's the final judgment. And that's going to be the final call to come out of Babylon, and that's it. So we have a prophetic message. The three angels' message is to call people out of Babylon. That's what we're here for. Let's be faithful to that calling. Thank you, everyone.